The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the production, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. We're very glad you decided to come back for episode two of the business of blueberries. This last episode was a great introduction of our show, but today we're going to dive into the heart of the matter here, talking with some great guests who I think will help continue to dive deep into the blueberry business and some of the things that we've uh, certainly learned over the last several weeks. Uh, As many of you heard in the last episode, Rod Cook will be joining me as my co-host on a regular basis. But in between episodes with Rod, I'll be sharing information and news with other co-hosts. And we have one of those with me today, Grant Prentice. Grant is a Senior Vice President and Director of Strategic Insights with Food Minds. Grant and I have been working very closely over the last six months uh, through our strategic refresh to develop an overall sales and production data strategy uh, for the organization. So Grant, thanks for co-hosting this important episode with me this morning. Well, Casey, thank you for inviting me. I know Rod has big shoes to fill. I I hope that we're able to contribute some meaningful content here today. We're going to be talking a little bit later on about all of the retail data and observations uh, from the Nielsen retail data that we've been analyzing. That's obviously a dynamic part of the marketplace that it's important to understand what the consumer is looking for, how the retailer is selling and promoting our fruit. We hope to be able to bring some insights and understanding through our conversations there today. Yeah, that's my hope is that people leave this episode with some more clarity on how, you know, our current circumstances have impacted our market today, how the collection analysis of data can bring insights that help drive the kind of knowledge and understanding that leads to identifying those opportunities and the innovation we talked back in March about that our industry needs right now. But before we do that, we want to uh, take a time for this week's crop report. And if I heard anything from our first episode, it was just how well received that crop report was to those who listened. So I'm excited about this segment. Clearly, I think there's support for hearing from our growers there in the blueberry fields. And so I'm excited to bring those voices forward again this week. The information here is actually being reported the day we release this podcast. So if you've subscribed and are listening as this comes out, It is very timely and very relevant. So here it is, your Blueberry Crop Report. It's time now for your Blueberry Crop Report, an update on crop conditions and markets around North America. Today you'll hear from Neil Moore in North Carolina, followed by Denny Doyle in New Jersey, then Jose Luis Bustamante in Mexico, and finish up with Doug Kramer in Oregon. This report was recorded on June 24th, 2020. I'm Neil Moore from North Carolina. I'm glad to be on the call today. We're finishing our hotbush season up this week, and that's mainly the legacy variety that we're finishing. That's our later hotbush variety. North Carolina here, we have rabbit eye cultivars also that we're continuing to harvest. Our crop this year has been a little bit ahead of normal season, you know, calendar-wise, and so we're moving on through our rabbit eye harvest. And machine harvest has started on some of the rabbit eye varieties, and we are still hand harvesting some of the rabbit eyes, too, for the fresh market. The demand in the marketplace right now is still pretty strong for this time of year. And being other regions are later than normal, I think, like Michigan. So that gave us a better market window for fresh fruit. The weather this past season has been 
kind of challenging with all the rain that we've had. So that's steered quite a bit of our high bush harvest into the freezer processing industry side of the business. But the rabbit eyes are mainly going to fresh right now as our weather is more normal. That's about what's going on in North Carolina this week. Hi, this is Denny Doyle from uh, New Jersey. Here in New Jersey, we're, we've, been, we've been at this for a couple weeks. We're really picking, uh, you know, our higher volume right now. We're in our dukes. Our weather's holding well. The quality of our berry is, is just excellent so far this year. Market's been holding up very well. Labor is okay here. I am getting some reports now that growers would like to have some more hand harvesters. But that's very normal as, as this crop is really coming on. Generally, that is a scenario here. We're doing well. We'll be getting into our blue crop variety and our draper variety next week, well until July 8th or 9th, right in there. And that's when generally, you know, the Michigan and, and the Western states start really kicking in. I think our timing overall through the whole industry is probably as good as to be expected. And the outlook is good. The coronavirus is, is definitely on all growers' minds. That's just not a New Jersey thing. That's a United States thing, United States blueberry grower thing. You know, it's important that people know that we're paying attention to this and we're doing, you know, everything that's possible. Our main focus is the health and welfare of our workers and our family. Good morning, everybody. This is Jose Luis Bustramante from Aneberris, Mexico. Basically, the season in, in Mexico is October. Central Mexico is getting the summer weather, which means it's going to be rain every afternoon and it's going to be warm. So basically, everybody's finished packing this week, this Friday. The only part that is continued to be picking is Baja Peninsula, the San Quintin Valley. Over there, is, they're going to go for maybe two weeks more. And that's it. We think we're going to be finished the fresh season. We have an increase year on year around 20%. And this is because some of the new, the plantings from a year ago start kicking in this year. So we don't think it's gonna be another big jump for the next season because there's no bigger new plantings on the 18, 19 season. Jose Luis, this is Denny Doyle. We hear that there's kind of a seasonality, you know, in Mexico, whether that you can start kind of in the spring and then you can return back into the fall in harvesting. Can you explain that a little bit? I mean, does that happen, number one, in Mexico? What happened in Mexico is that the, the growing cycle, we have an evergreen production on the, on the Mexican plants. So the most used variety is Biloxi, and the new varieties like Ventura or other ones are very low chill or no chill production. If we don't do nothing, we're going to start harvesting in July and finish in June, but very few per week. So right now what we are doing is we are right now pruning in July, end of June, July, and then stress the plants so we don't have any fruit until January, February, with a peak in March, then April, May, winding down a little bit. In the past, uh, before Peru started getting into the market, some people tried to prune early, let's say March or April, to get into the September, October, November window. But we just do that by pruning. So you, you make that decision. If you prune early, you will have fruit September, October, November. And if you prune later, you will have fruit January, February, March, April. 
My name is Doug Kramer. I'm a blueberry grower here in Oregon. Being this is my first time, I'd like to introduce you a little bit to the Oregon blueberry industry. The main part of our production comes out of the Willamette Valley, and the Willamette Valley has just started producing here in the last week. Uh, production down in southern Oregon has been going a couple weeks, and all the early production typically is hand harvested and going for fresh. After the 4th of July, our machines will start up and start picking fruit that will go into the processed market for IQF. The hand harvesting this year is going pretty well. The quality seems to be good. Biggest concern for us this season is the COVID-19 virus. The bulk of our harvest will go from now till late August, but there's also fruit that will continue to be picked through the end of September. So we got quite a long harvest season and we're just getting into it, but it looks good at this point. I so appreciate the extra time and effort our growers are putting towards helping us bring the crop report forward and the window of insight into what's happening in the blueberry fields across North America. Okay, let's go into the episode. Grant, who are we going to hear from today? Joining us from Category Partners is Adam Broheimer. Adam is the president of Category Partners, a strategic insights company focusing exclusively on the fresh industries in the retail grocery channel. Before joining Category Partners in 2015 as vice president, Adam worked for 12 years in produce marketing and category management. He's based in Laguna Hills, California. And I'm especially looking forward to Adam's insights because Category Partners has played a key role in helping USHBC access and translate Nielsen retail sales data. This is the data set that captures that last critical step in the value chain where the consumer reaches into their wallet and puts their money down on the counter in exchange for our fruit. So it's really important to understand that part of the blueberry value chain and Adam and his team have been incredibly helpful in helping us understand that. Thanks, Adam, for joining us. And I also want to introduce our other guest for this podcast, joining us with, I think, a unique perspective, which is why he's here, is Brian Bocock. Brian is both the Michigan blueberry grower and the vice president of sales at Nature Ripe Farms, where he's been for over 30 years. And uh, Nature Ripe has become one of the largest marketers of blueberries in the United States, representing over 20% of the total market. And their network of farms in South America, Mexico, and the United States really does uh, provide a lot of fruit and blueberries to the marketplace. And so, Brian, you also serve as a member of the promotion committee for USHBC, which we're entirely grateful for that service and the input you provide there. But I think what's notable that if people hadn't heard the news, I still have it on my desk, in fact, here is that you were the recent Alex Weatherby Award winner, and that is an NABC award that recognizes those who have made an outstanding contribution to the industry in areas of marketing promotion. So not only a unique perspective coming from you as both a grower and a marketer, but also an award winner in our industry. And I didn't know that you had a personal connection with Alex when you received that award. So I appreciate you joining us today, Brian, and thought we'd kick off by just talking about that award you received this March. Yeah, thanks, Casey. Uh, <laughs> um, something I certainly didn't expect at all. I had the great fortune to know Alex and his son, Tim, who both since passed away. And uh, Alex was quite the guy. He was 
an unbelievable comedian. I think I shared this story at the dinner that night, but when I first hit the sales desk, I was calling on a customer and they were telling me that Alex was $2 cheaper than me. And so my boss at the time said, why'd you give him a call and see what he says about that? And I called Alex up and said, Alex, how come you're so-and-so and such and such? And Alex said, kid, you sell your pile and I'll sell mine. And he hung up the phone on me. <laughs> After that, he and I became great friends, actually. <laughs> and Alex, Alex was always one for, he was always a comedian, always had something funny to say, um, but was dead serious and devoted big time to the blueberry industry. So I was very much appreciative of the award. It was very humbling to receive it and to receive it from Art Galetta, who's a very good friend of mine as well. So thank you, Casey. That was truly a humbling moment in my career. So thank you. Yeah, it was just a meaningful moment this spring. At the last time, essentially, we've been able to get together as part of an industry gathering. So I just, you know, the whole thing was very special and a tribute to you for the work you've done. So I, we thought today we'd just get together, you in a position of being able to speak from a grower's perspective as well as a marketer's perspective. And then certainly to Grant's point about the connection we have with category partners stepping in and helping us kind of level set our understanding about these market conditions in light of circumstances. So you have a great perspective, Brian, I think coming from a, a grower's perspective. So I, I don't know if you want to just give us a little bit of background on your family's history in growing blueberries there in Michigan. Sure. Really brief. My father was a assistant superintendent and was looking for a retirement project in 1975 and bought a little five-acre blueberry farm in Michigan. He made a little bit of money at it. And just like all growers, you make a little bit of money. So if I plant a little bit more, I'll make a little bit more money, right? Whatever. It's from 1976 to now, we're now up to 300 acres of blueberries and the family's all involved in it. And my sisters and the whole enchilada. So been, been through some really good times and some really tough times in blueberries. And quite frankly, we're in some pretty tough times right now for a lot of different reasons. And COVID-19 didn't help that. But that's just really brief summary. Um, of where we're at on that, Casey. That history certainly means a lot when you consider how this industry has changed. And I think that's part of why our focus on bringing category partners is in is, you know, USHBC is continuing to look at data to help determine decision making. But directing this question over to Adam and just have you speak to some of the trends you've seen in the analysis of the blueberry category over the past few years. What are those strengths, weaknesses that you've seen in the past. And of course, you know, we'll talk uh, as we get into the discussion about, you know, what's happening this year. Yeah, thanks, Casey. So I think some of the numbers I'm going to cite and some of the strengths and weaknesses, we definitely want to keep in mind that the perspective is on retail. And so talking specifically about that, I know that, you know, there's that whole restaurant piece, that food service piece, that's a lot more difficult to track, but we'll focus really on my commentary on, on the retail channel. And the news for blueberries going back several years has been very, very good. From a, a volume perspective in 2017, blueberries were up 4.5%. When you move to 18, up almost 7%. And then in, in 2019, up 19%. When we look at volume and dollar growth as percentages in 2019 across the produce department, so looking at both veg and fruit, Blueberries are the number one percentage gainer in the retail channel. These are the big boys that we're talking about, right? These are the major categories. These are the, the packaged salads and the potatoes and the, the lettuce and the apples of the produce industry. And when blueberries stacks up against that, blueberries are number one. Of course, you, you could have smaller categories in there. 
you know, dragon fruit may exhibit a, a larger percentage, but the, the categories that retailers care about, blueberries are, are number one in growth in 2019. Brian, I don't know if you want to jump in and provide some commentary on that. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing about numbers are that while we show huge gains, that does not necessarily mean that equals grower profitability, right? And it has been really, really difficult at the growing level because beyond the fact that we've had to deal with Mother Nature issues, which you always have to deal with, there's always something that happens someplace. But especially during April when we're all trying to figure things out and during May, there was a tremendous amount of pressure to move things through. And we were really concerned about whether it was going to go, we were going to be able to move through the crop. I've never in my entire career told a grower, we, we don't have a home to sell his fresh blueberries. And we were seriously considering whether we were going to be able to sell everything fresh this year. And while the category shows, I mean, everything that Adam's saying is spot on. I'm looking at those numbers. That's all accurate. But it does not reflect into grower FOB farm gate value um, back, to, back to the ranch. And at retail, merchandising change. Um, all of a sudden, you had to be engaged with the consumer before they ever got to the store because blueberries are impulse purchases. Now they're no longer impulse purchases because people are buying online. Um, some of the data points on that's unbelievable. And the trend probably is going to stay with us for a long time. So now you got to get on that shopping list before they ever walk in there. Almost all retailers reduced the amount of produce in the, in the produce category. And some retailers even took out raspberries and blackberries completely. In our industry, we've had some folks do direct delivery to retail stores. Um, that's a cost, right? That's going to come out of someplace. You know, you're not doing it for free um, because retailers didn't have enough truck drivers to make the deliveries to it. So there's a whole lot of new charges, costs involved that were never, ever there before. Plus communication, forget about it. What we've learned on communication and the paradigms that are being broken there, it's we could talk about that for two hours. So. Yeah, and I think Grant and I have experienced that conversation that Brian's describing in some of the presentations we've given about just being clear on what the numbers are that we're talking about. And, and you know, the experience at retail is, as Brian's pointing out, going to be certainly different than what our growers are experiencing in terms of a farm gate or FOB pricing. That's part of what I think is our responsibility at USHBC is to continue to provide the resource of understanding, you know, that even even in the case of what I think we've seen over the course of the weeks that Category Partners has been providing the uh, weekly reports at retail is uh, an awareness about these differences. You know, I don't know if, Brian, you want to jump in here, but from a maybe from a promotion committee's perspective, you're th- thinking about, you know, those reports that were being provided and, and how those served us in a time of need for directing resources. Yeah, I I really take my hat off to the flexibility that Casey and and, and the team at USHBC really showed during those during those weeks because we had a we had a real unknown crisis in front of us that no one had any history or, or or background on right everybody's swimming in the lake for the first time and one thing we circled around very quickly was needing to get on the shoppers list before they walk into the store what why they're sitting at home and they're ordering online what they're going to get. And, and I'm not going to say that that ultimately helped drive all the results that happened in the marketplace during the time. I think there's a lot of things 
with blueberries that fell into place to help drive some of the sales results that everybody has seen. Keeping in mind, that doesn't mean grower farm gates that great, but there is numbers out there that suggest some pretty good things for blueberries. And I'm not going to say that everything USHPC did helped drive that, but it certainly didn't hurt it. Information is king, right? I mean, real, real numbers that you can trust really truly drives decision-making. Understanding how crops are coming on, understanding volumes, understanding the ebbs and flows of it. It's studying numbers and looking at different things and understanding price points. And some of that's in the value equation. Some of that's in our packaging. Many of you that's going to listen to this podcast have heard me say before that we need to upsize our primary pack. We need to get away from a pint and move to something at a different level. And we need to back that up with data. I get it. And that's where the information flows through and, and the data will support that. So the short version is, Casey, that information is king. The better information we have, the more reasons we figure out, one, how we're pleasing the consumer, two, how we're adding value to the consumer, and honestly, just as important as number one and number two, how are we displeasing the consumer? Where are we turning that consumer off? And how do we change that behavior to keep those con- continual repeat purchases? I mean, my gosh, when I first got involved in this thing, I had a big old Excel, for lack of a better <laughs> Excel spreadsheet and a diamond meant if I had a number with a diamond, that meant a five pounder. If I had a number with a square, that meant a 10 pounder. If it was just a number, it meant pints. That's how far we've come. <laughs> wow. Holy cow. Well, and, and me only having this uh, early tenure, you know, I, I'm looking at the sea of data trying to determine, you know, what it is that we can really do in terms of uh, helping us turn our sights on on using data to make decisions as we've talked about here. And I appreciate that perspective of, of how information is king. And, and you know, I think that kind of takes us, you know, moving this forward, uh, you know, what things have changed in light of circumstances. So looking at this COVID-19 period, you know, what produce items have done well and which have suffered and why. I want to spend a little time here from all of your perspective, but, you know, starting, I, I think, with Adam, as you see more broadly across the produce category, which has done well and, and why, and then loop Brian back in here and, and get his perspective. Yeah, I think what's been really interesting as we've moved into and then kind of through the pantry loading phase was initial, well, let's call it March 8th to March 21st of this year. That pantry loading phase, pretty much anything that wasn't nailed down sold. I mean, it just flew off the shelves. There were a couple of exceptions that really stuck out when we looked at the data or that, that came off of, of bumps very, very quickly. That was uh, grapes and pears. I think we're, we're two that have struggled in this environment, two categories that have struggled. Some of the mainstay categories like apples, bananas, they did really well initially. They've come down, but still have remained elevated. We're not seeing any negative growth. Where we have seen really interesting immediate spikes in maintenance at real, relatively high levels as we've moved through the different phases of COVID, right? So the pantry load to the quarantine to the Easter flip period and back to more quarantine. And now as we're into the reopening phases, it's berries, it's citrus, and it's avocados. So we're trying to think about what are the commonalities between these particular categories. And so without having done, you know, deep dive research into consumer attitudes and perspectives around that, I suspect that there's a variety of reasons. Of course, the berries are largely packaged. So there's an element potentially there of, of safety where apples maybe not as much. 
citrus, you've got the peel, right? It's that, it's that removable natural safety seal. But potentially, you know, as we've had internal conversations about this and looked at the data and this really elevated level, um, I suspect that there's a health kind of an aspect and a component, right? Berries are seen as healthy for you. They're good for you. Citrus, I can get a lot of vitamin C, right? So I'm inoculating myself in a natural way. Avocados have a great health story. So we're inoculating ourselves with something that tastes good against the fear of COVID-19. And so I think you're seeing that these categories continue to be very elevated. So for example, in the latest set of weeks here, like limes, for example, are at 35% over the same period a year ago, 35% up. Now, I guess you could make the argument, maybe limes are tracking with alcohol sales and that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> I was but, just going to uh, say, well, I kind of, I know the, I, I might, I, was gonna say the same I might thing. know a little bit about that lime bump, but go on, go on. <laughs> yeah. I just, I think when you look though at the totality of the picture and the commonalities with some of these categories, it's, it sort of leads to a, a, a conclusion. I think it's a conclusion worth exploring in more detail, but it's one that I would suspect will stick around for a while and, and definitely boy berries in general and blueberries in particular, as of course, that's what the folks listening to this podcast care about. Yeah. Well, and Brian, I mean, I'm assuming you've seen and experienced that same sense of the market you know, in terms of consumerism during this period. And, and I know that, you know, Nature Ripe not representing just blueberries, but maybe you can speak to a little bit about that as well. Adam is, is spot on. I mean, the health thing kicked in and vitamin C in particular, I mean, citrus went through the roof, right? They couldn't bring enough citrus in from offshore. They even opened up some spots to bring citrus in that before couldn't come into the United States because of this. And, and it's driven along that health benefit, Right. Consumers have got the health message that, you know, blueberries are healthy for them. And now we're hitting, we're going into something that's so epidemic that you got to stay in your houses. I mean, you're going to gravitate towards things that are healthy for you and your kids. I think that's, um, that's a big part of the success is the health message that's gotten out to the consumers. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know Grant and I have spent some time talking about, you know, what we've seen in the behavior change as it relates to, you know, what we had prepared for marketing, which in many respects, you know, not knowing what we knew, our, our, our campaign strategy worked. To your point about families and kids, we were more than prepared to, you know, move forward a campaign that would speak to the health benefits and just the crazy time period that we're, we're facing today still. And before we get into that, I do want to loop Grant back in, in terms of those conversations that we were seeing some of that same experience and, and opportunity, I guess. Absolutely. I think, um, uh, those comments are so spot on. I, I think the, you know, not knowing what the future held maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago when blueberry farmers decided to fund the nutrition and health science that sort of helped build the story and develop the evidence that blueberries are an excellent source of vitamin C and other antioxidants and start creating a science that shows the connection between increased consumption of those or presence of those kinds of nutrients in the diet and healthy outcomes. And I think this is really important. The consumer in the current climate isn't just focused on health. They want health and they want taste and they want, they want it in a convenient form. And blueberries, I think even more so than some of those other berries out there, even versus strawberries, 
are something you can grab and just eat by the handful. And I think any messaging that we develop around that really healthy snacking option and developing stories and promotional materials around that, which is essentially what we've done with this campaign and showing how it can help moms with, you know, a convenient kind of helpful snacking option helps drive volume. It helps drive those sales. Yeah. Well, it was well-timed and, and, and ready for use, but you know, and I know we talk a lot about blueberries, of course, this is the business of blueberry podcast, but what's happening with these other berries? You know, I direct that to Brian first, but what is happening with the other berries in comparison to blueberries? Blueberries and strawberries have had a really good run given all the circumstances that we've seen. Blackberries have suffered. Blackberry FOBs have been as low as I've seen in, in years, if not decades, consistently. It's not because of a big increase in volume. As I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, some retailers, when we're going through that whole initial flux there, when they were downsizing the amount of items they had in the retail department, Blackberries is one of the casualties. And in some cases, raspberries too. And so, you know, the retailers were scaling back in their produce because their labor was going way down. Their merchandisers weren't around to help merchandise. If you just got it on the shelf, they were saying, hallelujah, amen. And then it got to if you just get it into the warehouse. So blackberries and raspberries took a pretty decent beating in there for, for a while compared to strawberries and blueberries, Casey. Well, and, I, and to that end, there was this, you know, organics versus conventional watch going on as we were looking at the data. And so I don't know if you want to talk a little bit uh, to that, Adam, about what we saw in retail trends in organic versus conventional during this time period. Yeah, it's interesting. So I went back and I looked at each of the individual weeks throughout May, right? So let's just kind of take that on a national level. And, and there's some variance by region. And again, some of that's availability potentially. But when we were looking at year over year percentage growth numbers, and it's been fairly consistent every week throughout May, organic as a percentage has experienced larger gains, both on the fresh and the frozen side. We, we thought maybe going into this, maybe we would see declines or downward pressure in, in organic, regardless of category. And that just hasn't been the case. Organic has really held up. And again, we, we sort of attribute that to that health, right? The, the nutritional, that perception that organic is better for me. It's maintaining, it's sort of helped maintain that lift that's interesting, Adam. Uh, and this is why I'm so glad we have Brian on the podcast with us today, because what I find interesting and in knowing what I'd like Brian to talk about versus what we see in the data is there's a story to tell. In some cases, the marketers have the story. You know, what we see in the Nielsen data tells the retailer story, but I'm going to bring Brian in here because I think Brian's got, uh, I think, some insights as it works into the data as to why the data looks like that. And so these are the calls I was having with Brian trying to understand these numbers myself from his perspective as a marketer. So give us some perspective from your desk as to what we were seeing in the organic versus conventional data at retail. As you can see, I was chomping at the bit to jump in on that. Uh, <laughs> yes, I knew you were. Adam, your, your little asterisk that says availability may have yes. had something to do with it. The fact of the matter is, is that there's been a tremendous amount of organic acreage put into the ground, not just in California now, but also in the southeastern part of the United States. And even some acres have been converted over from conventional to organic to where this past 
late April and May. Traditionally, organics peak has been Eastern Washington, which is the last week of June through like the second or third week of July. And then everything outside of that was kind of shoulders. This year, we hit some numbers in May for production that was almost as big as on the biggest weeks in Eastern Washington. To the point that Casey was making earlier about information is king, right? That's so true. It's not that we didn't know it was coming at us, but for sure, the volume and the velocity of the whole industry even took us a little bit by surprise. Then you throw in the COVID-19 with what's going on there. And, and quite frankly, we feel that organics have gotten hammered during the COVID-19, not because necessarily the numbers don't show greater sales, because there is greater sales. We're selling more organics now, without a doubt, than we did last year at the same time. But the FOB value of that, tremendously down. There's been sometimes we are almost at conventional pricing. We've packed organics as conventional this year to keep things moving along along the path because we had more organic being produced than demand for the organics at the price we're trying to ascertain, right? So there's no doubt when you look at the numbers, it shows huge increases. And that's true. There's been huge increases. But the FOBs have really, really taken a hit on organics year over year. Brian, if I'm a grower out there, what, what do I do with all these insights? How, how is this valuable to me? You know, one of these questions in here, you know, to me is a million dollar question, right? Is, is how, what, what is COVID-19? Um, how is this going to change our industry and our business forever? And, and time will tell. Maybe this will go back to norm, but I doubt it. You know, our paradigms are getting broke all over the place. There's a lot more consumers learning how to cook at home now. I think that's going to continue. I think as businesses look to see how they deal with COVID-19 going forward and and municipalities and states and our government, I think you're going to see more people working from home. I think you're going to see, you know, the online shopping thing. That that was coming, I think, no matter what, but that just like rocket shot it. And so the importance of getting to that consumer at home or on their phone, or on their electronics, through whatever that is social media, or whatever it happens to be. I think USHBC and Casey and I have talked about this before, definitely has a position in helping to educate consumers how to use blueberries at home in, in different forms and fashions. I think Grant mentioned how convenient and healthy they are. That's, that's true, but what else can we use them in? Lunch, at dinner, for snacks, for dessert. They're so versatile in drinks and mixed drinks, and along with our limes. Um, <laughs> And the last point that I think that um, is relevant to the conversation for growers in particular is the world is changing right before our eyes. And we have to be nimble. We have to be willing to change. We have to look at everything as if it's not the best way to do it, whether it's packaging and upsizing the consumer, how we approach the marketplace, how we sell into the marketplace how we look at our quality. I mean, how awesome would it be if every single consumer in the United States thought, my gosh, man, blueberries all the time, without exception, are better quality than anything else in the produce department. And that's tough for a grower, right? I mean, I totally get it. Um, so we got a lot of things that are, 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 are difficult uh, uh, head for us. But I also think we got a lot of good people working on it. And Casey, I really appreciate the team 
that you've put together to help uh, try to drive us into some of those directions. And certainly our, our pleasure on that because, you know, there is a lot of runway left. You know, one of the things in my experience going to the spring meetings, you know, we walked into those March meetings, I think, with, with you know, clear concerns about market conditions, specifically in the situation that we faced in cold storage and frozen. And what a difference a few months has made for blueberries. And I think in that way, it just exemplified what things can change. Now, we didn't market that change, of course, and we didn't anticipate that change coming quite like it did. But what we ended up seeing was how quickly frozen blueberries became a point of priority in shopping carts. It just exemplified for me that for those who are coming to that March meeting that were concerned about how is this even possible? How would we be able to move that, that kind of fruit you know, how are we going to move that kind of fruit? And, and of course, knowing how frozen affects the fresh market pricing. Look at us today. You know, look how quickly that changed in terms of circumstance. Turning over to Adam, any final thoughts? Yeah, I guess a kind of a slingshot off of uh, some comments earlier from, from Brian, and I think Grant may have touched on this as well. And I, and, and I think he's he's absolutely right. You've got to pay attention and we can't simply do business as usual or or think that doing business as usual is going to be enough to, to be successful going forward. Um, thing, things have changed. I, I will say one thing, though, if I could kind of just drill home on this point, and that is the impact of online. Brian, I can't, couldn't agree with you enough about your comments that it, it was being adopted. We, we saw that in January before uh, COVID hit. It has only accelerated. It has been rocket fuel. You are exactly right. Fruit is impulse. Berries are impulse. And that really, as a, as a marketer, would just encourage this industry to be very engaged and understand and drive the discussion with retailers. Help the retailers form their strategy as they begin to emphasize this more and more. There's a lot we don't know, but one thing we do, and that is online is here to stay. Bricks and mortar aren't going away, but you got to be engaged. So, and I applaud the uh, industry for the efforts that you've made to date to do so. Appreciate that, Adam. And thank you so much for joining us on our second episode of the Business of Blueberries. I want to thank Brian as well for your insights, both as a grower and a marketer, Brian. I really appreciate your leadership on the promotion committee as well and and all that you do. And again, congratulations for your recognition as our most recent Alex Weatherby Award winner. So thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Talk to you later. Well, at this point of the podcast, we'd like to direct you to resources that can help you and your business. That's what this podcast is about. And despite extremely difficult circumstances over the past few months, our growers, packers, processors, our marketers continue to do their part to deliver blueberries to their customers. Blueberries are essential. We understand that. The work you and your team are doing in recognition of your efforts, we're including blueberries are essential posters for you to hang in your office, your packing shed, your processing facility, or anywhere you'd like to reflect our pride in what you do. Uh, We've developed a series of downloads. Those are good practice posters that we want you to have that you can find on our website. And so if you go to ushbc.org slash resources, our team has put together just a simple collection of posters that you can use to help during this period of time where we need to maintain our social distancing. All these things are things we think we can continue to provide to our industry as part of good practices. So again, visit ushbc.org slash resources. And please, you know, Hang, hang this poster with pride, and if you can, snap a photo of it and uh, 
and share that with us. We'd love to see where you're reflecting your pride. Grant, what are your big takeaways from our discussion today? I think that uh, it's interesting to hear Brian's comments about the challenges that are that growers face, and we we know that those are there, and the struggle between uh, being able to produce sufficient product to meet demand, and then being able to get a good price for that for growers, and that is a big challenge. It's an ongoing challenge, and uh, the nature of agriculture with its peaks and valleys in terms of production uh, makes that difficult to manage. Again, just to underscore. I think our renewed focus on providing a much greater level of understanding and transparent view to what's happening at the retail end of the, of the, of the value chain, but also I think enlisting a better approach at gathering data from growers, from buyers, to fill in that space in the middle of the market so that growers can have a better understanding of exactly what are those volumes that are sitting out there, what are the prices that can be expected across different types of products, whether that's conventional, whether it's organic, or whether it's um, a demand that sort of sits in any specific type of channel, whether that's food service or retail. Being able to give the grower a view to that level of detail, it's going to take some work, it's going to take some effort, it's going to take some commitment. I think it's going to take a reallocation of some industry resources, but it's absolutely critical as we get to a point where we have this year-round demand We have consumers eating blueberries on a regular basis, and we want to be able to build on that steady state demand and grow that. And the only way we're going to get there and fill those gaps is with that information. Absolutely. And couldn't agree more. In fact, I think this is just a great way for me to just acknowledge and recognize, you know, the work you've been doing with me in the course of these many weeks, but even before we got to our March spring meetings. Uh, So I really appreciate, you know, all the work you've done over all those many weeks of providing what has become a resource to the industry. And and I encourage those who haven't seen some of the work that Grant's done as part of Food Minds to uh, subscribe. We welcome any of you who are listening to consider reaching out for this resource. It's available to you through USHBC. And and it does give you that kind of transparency and insights. And as, as I think we heard Brian say, and I think Adam represents that as category partners, is information is king. That said, uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with more innovation collaboration, family, and hard work right here on The Business of Blueberries. If there's anything else, you know, you, you need to re-record some comments, there's some background noise or something, give me a holler. Happy to, happy to jump back on and whatever I, we can do. Yeah, those fish were pretty noisy back there the whole time. Too <laughs> 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 <So> much splashing. <laughs> right. See you guys. All right. Thank hey, you. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Thanks Adam. You bet. Thanks, guys.